backstory of what we wanted to do. So we named the podcast Out Here in the Middle. And the reason that we went with Out Here in the Middle is because we want people to not necessarily assume that this is us just living out here in the middle of nowhere. But when we have people on that are talking about different things, we want to take a very middle-of-the-road approach uh, and understand different viewpoints. So for all of those of you that are watching this right now, one, thanks for watching. Two, uh, this will be up um, probably within the next week. And then after that is when we have our scheduled people that will be coming onto the podcast. I know there's a bunch of people that are waving and doing whatever. Um, thank you so much for following along. I'm going to introduce you to who we have in the out here in the middle studios, which is out here in the middle of nowhere. This podcast is sponsored by Chaffee, world-class alfalfa. Chaffee is grown in the shadows of the Guadalupe Mountains, the highest peak in the state of Texas. Our unique climate offers cool nights, warm days, and allows us to grow some of the finest forage on the face of the planet. For more information about Chaffee, please visit www.chaffee.com. And we just wanted to take a couple quick seconds to thank some of our sponsors. One of our sponsors and a sponsor of mine for a long time has been Walls. Walls Outdoor Wear. Absolutely amazing product. I personally love their ditch digger pants. I know it's starting to get a little bit warm, but at the same time, those pants breathe amazingly well. They're super comfortable and they fit you, especially if you have a dad bod like me. If you want any more information about Walls Outdoor Wear, you can go to walls.com. Tell them Jay sent you. First off, Chaffee Charlie. Howdy, folks. How yep. y'all doing? There's old Chaffee Charlie. Chaffee Charlie, give us a, a couple quick bits about yourself. What do you do? Territory sales manager for Chaffee, Louisiana, Texas, Oklahoma. Yeah, boy. Drive around the country and sell Chaffee. Drive around the country and sell Chaffee. Ladies, Charlie is single. <laughs> Looking to mingle as long as you don't have a fever. Uh, MJ Oliver. Afternoon, everybody. MJ, what do you do? I uh, oversee all the operations for Chaffee here in Dell City. So you are the head cheese? Of sorts, yeah. That's scary. That's really scary. And then new, Brandon Gibb. Hey, everybody. Wow, you are loud in that mic. I am Turn, sorry. Turning you down Turn right down. now. I have a bolsterous voice. You are bolstering. <laughs> so, Gibb, where are you from? So originally from Alberta, Canada. A. A. And uh, how long have you been in the, the metropolis? Oh, what, about three weeks now? Three weeks. And uh, we're going to get into your guys' stories a little bit more in depth uh, here in just a minute. But um, we uh, <coughs> excited, to say the least. So today's day and age, uh, pre-COVID-19, this podcast had the design that we wanted to get together and uh, and bring people out to the farm to talk about what they do to impact society for the better, as well as give them a rundown of what happens day to day on a working farm, um, which you know is pretty cool in my eyes, at least even just being a farmer. Um, but what we really want to do is get down and dirty with some things. So, Charlie, to start off with you. Are you ready? Shoot. Okay, so to start off with you, what is what is the biggest fear of failure that you have? What's your biggest fear of failure? Pass. I can't pass. <laughs> this is where it gets down and dirty. 
I don't know. I've never really thought about it that deep. Yeah, okay, so come back. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> MJ, what's your biggest feel, feel, fear of failure? Not being able to uh, support my family. Not being able to life. support your family. That's a huge, That's that one gets a, nope, that one. There we go, sorry. <laughs> I almost gave you the wrong, almost gave you the wrong. <laughs> nah, it was not wah, wah, wah. Sorry, hey, my, my, the DS cowgirl, she's on here. Jen, you're awesome. We're going to have you out here someday. Brendan, what's your biggest fear of failure? Well, I'll tell you, I've, uh, <clears throat> I've thought about that lots, actually. Uh, used to be biggest fa- fear of failure was losing a family farm. Biggest fear of failure was losing your family's farm. Yeah. So when you are on generational land, there's a lot of weight on you, right? Yeah. Like well, a pile of weight. Yeah. My fear is, was... The fear was that I would lose it and let the previous generations down. So for me, not being a multi-generation farmer, generation and a half, everything that is built, yes, my father is involved in some aspects of our, of our operations, but at the same time, it's not multi, you know, it's not, we're not going back to Tennessee doing what they did. Um, what, how? How did you get to Del City with that fear? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, <clears throat> pretty lucky my wife is not multi-generational farmer. She's from the city. Yeah, she's, she's, she's a nurse, yeah. She's a nurse. And hey. we would have these conversations about generational land, and she would tell me, we bought it. You had to pay full price for that land when you bought it. It's ours. It's not, it wasn't handed to us. Right. And she said, would your ancestors want you to suffer? And my answer is always no. Mm-hmm. Oh, but what, 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 I mean, if they came back out of the shiny clouds and said, hey, you sold all of this ground that we broke and we fought the Native Americans for and all, yada, 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 you don't have that mindset. Not anymore. No. My mindset now is, what am I, what, what kind of future am I forging for my next generation? And I did not want to leave a, a future of doubt and debt. A future of doubt and debt. And that's, I think that's what everybody in American agriculture, or if you're inheriting a business that was a family-owned company, sees. And they're like, well, my dad used to sell auto parts to the American, whatever it is. And I don't want to let that go. But at the same time, that might be the, not be the cloth that you were cut from. So to go back to you, MJ, your biggest fear is to not be able to provide for your family. Correct. Okay. So we're moving over. We're, we're moving over here. Please hold. And for those of you that are just listening to the podcast, we are on Instagram. We're doing an Instagram live right now. And so if it takes a minute for us to set up, that's why you're seeing it. You're now in Dell City, Texas. You're employed um, by two guys that are fly by the seat of their pants, wild men. True, and, true statement, yeah. <laughs> and you decided that you were going to leave the comfort of where you were and, and explain where you were. So I was in, I was in Las Cruces, New Mexico. You Doing? Know, uh, freight broker. 
Okay, so you, you were responsible for shafting trucks. I was responsible for shafting trucks. Yeah. Six days a week. Six days. Sometimes Saturdays if it was, or Sundays if it was an, a yeah. good, good shaft job. Yeah. If it was a good shaft, I'd work on Sundays. Yeah. So I was in Creases, freight broker. Um, married, had a two-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old, and a, a two-month-old. Yep. And, and I, I call you. You coaxed me out to come come look at Dell City. Yeah, we uh, me and came Katie, out here. me and Katie were living in the camper. Yeah, we brought ours, parked it right next yeah, to you. Yeah, we had it was a camper party, and we said, "Hey, there's a there's a chance at doing something different." And so, with your fear of being able to provide for your family, how is your anxiety today versus what it was when you were in Las Cruces? It's it's less now. Um, I think providing for your family doesn't just have a monetary value to it. It's the lifestyle they're allowed to live. And Dell City provides something to my two daughters that Las Cruces never could. But to take that point back to Brandon, how many people in agriculture are sitting here today saying, well, the reason that we're farmers is because we get to live the lifestyle. <laughs> so my wife and I have had that conversation a pile. And we'd say, yeah, we love That's Canadian for a lot. Yeah, oh yeah, sorry. Uh, a pile is a lot in American English. And we would talk about that all the time, be like, yeah, this great lifestyle. Look, we can hang out whenever we want. We can, we can go do whatever we want. <clears throat> but the reality is she's working full time and I was working full time. And you had three kids. And we had three kids, three boys. And we said, well, look at this great place for them to grow up. Well, guess what? They were always somewhere else. Or we always had a babysitter. Right. Well, what kind of lifestyle is that? To me and her, that's not the kind of lifestyle we wanted. Right. Yeah. That, that, that makes a whole lot of sense. Charlie, you feel like you figured out your fear? No. No. Pass. Hard pass on the whole subject. Hard, hard pass. What about man. poor cowboy? <laughs> yeah, what about your dog, man? He's doing fine in the truck. Okay, yeah. Charlie Sinkle, I can't remember. Maybe his biggest fear is getting married. <laughs> so, yeah, Charlie, why are you single? I mean, everybody loves you. Just haven't found the right one yet, I guess. And you're you're 34? Sure. Plus 20? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think to, to, to move past fear, to move to today which is a fearful time. Charlie's here because of COVID-19. Charlie, normally his day-to-day would be on the road, at his house, at the ranch. That's kind of your, either you're, you're, you're hunting and fishing and loving every day, you're selling chaffe, or you're dancing at home. Yes. Yes. Okay, so we, we narrowed that down. Hello from Odessa, Texas. Um, one, of, one of the biggest things that I see is with COVID-19, our future instantly went from, not instantly, it was like it was like watching a car accident. And the fact that we sat there and we saw this starting to take place. Brandon just got here from Canada. He's been here three weeks. His family's still in Canada. And this thing starts to hit the fan. And the next thing we know, all of a sudden dairies are dumping milk. There's no, there's no corn price. There's no cotton price. There's no hay price, everything is starting to change and, and there's nothing that we can do. 
And so with that, does that give you a level of fear? Do you, are you fearful of what we have going on right now? Oh, yeah. Very so what, what, what scared you the most about COVID-19 right now? That I might lose somebody that I care about. So the actual disease is the thing that, that you're more concerned about or that you are concerned I'm about? I'm concerned about it. I wouldn't say more. And the financial future for the company as a whole and therefore myself. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes total sense. What is your biggest fear with COVID-19 today, MJ? For me on the COVID-19, it's just the economic impact. Do you think that the skew between Charlie living in San Antonio and surrounded by, how many people live in San Antonio? A million, I think. So between San Antonio and Dell City, the fact that it, it, we're so quiet here, do you think that that kind of takes the sting away of what COVID-19 is really doing? I think it really does because our, our day-to-day truly hasn't changed. You know, we, we've made a couple adjustments around the office to protect the employees, but everything here is business as usual. For the most part. Right. So I, I you know. So you, you, you're more, your bigger fear is financial. I, I think so. Yeah. Okay. How about you? Uh, my biggest fear, I, I would say long-term financial. And also, I guess I have a, a lots of anxiety because we're separated from my family and the borders are closed. Now I'm sure if we had to, we could figure out a way to get them down here. But uh, I think like I feel disconnected from it because we're in the middle of nowhere. My wife- Out here in the middle. Out here in the middle. Uh, where I, where we're originally from, it's very isolated, so kind of protected from that. But the economic fallout, I just don't think any of us have any real idea what's gonna happen. And, and the physical deaths are, are horrendous. And uh, anytime anybody dies is a bad thing, but it's just such an unknown. We've never experienced Something like this. We always hear about the Great Depression, World War One, World War Two, uh, you know, Cold War. You know, most of us in this room experienced the '80s, late '90s. We've never experienced seeing something like this happen so quick. And that's the thing is, uh, to me, I, I I fear both. You know, I fear waking up one morning and I can't breathe, or I fear that I've gone and seen my 80 year old father. And it kills him. You know, I, I do have that concern. But at the same time, being being a part of this business and, and being here with you guys and all of our amazing people that we work with, the financial strain gets to a point where I sit there and think, oh, my gosh, what what are we going to do if the world collapses? What you know, what is what is our position and how do we make sure that you can still provide for your family, that you can move your family down here and have a job? The fact that you are already here now like you it's it's made it's made people change and so for me i sit there and think okay what what do we do now but with my ping pong size ball size brain that runs a thousand miles an hour all i can think about is there's an upside to this thing people are going to be down people are not going to keep their head up people are not going to go to want to go back to work and if we can pick up the pieces of people or not not only is it financial gain but maybe it's the, the gain to all of us as a company to be able to pick up more market share maybe it's the pickup of actually pulling somebody out of a dark time and saying listen wake up we can help you with this that's the whole thing that that drives me about social media that's the whole thing that drives me about dealing with guys like you every single day is the fact that we have the opportunity to better the world even though that we talk about business and stress and finances all the time 
I think we're going to see some people stand up on podiums in the next six months that are going to change the entire direction of our world. I don't know who those people are going to be, but at the same time, for us to be able to put ourselves into a position to say that we can be something or somebody that's here is going to be huge. I feel like you have a snarky comment. I do not. Oh, my God. I'm just listening intently. You guys could sit here and watch MJ's face. So let's paint a picture. So it's uh, it's beautiful outside. It's it's ninety degrees. The haze chopping beautiful. I mean, alfalfa is blowing in a slight breeze. The mountains are glistening with an early morning dew. Am I painting a picture for you? Yeah, yeah. So we're painting this picture. Life is amazing. The plants running top notch. People are rocking. Everybody's just having a great day. I go into MJ's office, and he could stare through your soul. Just, I mean, straight stare through your soul. And I'm like, what happened? And he's like, nothing. It's a beautiful day. And I'm like, well, smile. Like, I mean, that's all you got to do is just smile a little bit. Everything else will be okay. So that's, I was just explaining. I think that's a little exaggerated. So, so, so. I'm, I'm reading a couple of the comments that are coming through on, on, on Instagram. And, and one of the biggest fears that, that Brody255 has is my fear is not getting my workers from Mexico to help with the fruit growing season and harvest. So that's something that we're feeling on this end too. Uh, we were scheduled or slated to have eight guys come over from South Africa and one from uh, Ireland. And um, this is where I've got a fundamental question. And we're going to start with you and you're going to answer it. Please hold while I move this. You can't pass on this one. No pass. Apparently not. Will America, will Canada, will, will, will countries with a close economic status as ours, will we get to a point during COVID-19 that will drive people back to doing manual labor that they thought they would never do? I think so. Just due to the job shortage of jobs right now i saw this morning there's all kinds of companies that are wanting people to work it might not be the ideal job but you got to pay for food unemployment's still below seven percent true so do you think we see a workforce come back that's willing to chop weeds buck hay muck stalls clean nursing homes not in huge numbers but there's going to be some so you'll see, you're thinking there's going to be a little bit more of a blue-collar swing? I hope so. Okay. MJ? I do not think that we're going to see a big blue-collar swing. So so let's say this. The economy crashes completely. We go back to unemployment rate of the Great Depression, which was 24.9%. There's four of us in this room. One of us is an unemployed. Do you think that we go to the breadline? Before we go back to the field, the people in this room, no, or the country. I'm talking about the country. I'm talking about. I'm talking about world economy, Australia. I mean, I, I think world economy. If we get to that point, then yes. I don't think that where we're at right now, we've hit that point that's going to push people back into the fields doing those jobs. So you think? So so how does that affect agriculture? What happens to Brody or whatever his name was? He's he's going to have to. What's Just, he going to do with all of his fruit? I don't know on that. Same thing we're going to do. You're going to find workers where you can. Right. But right he's not going to, I mean, think if he's a, he's a large producer, which all of the hatch chili peppers on, mm-hmm. it's all H2A labor now. If these guys can't get across, then what, what in the world are they going to do? 
I mean, there, there's definitely going to be some crop loss there because they're not going to be able to get across it. Okay. So with that question, I'm going to take the Great White North. You're still pretty pale. <laughs> You're getting redder though. I'm good. So, so what, what happens? I think we're, in a, we're a little bit of a different system than we were in the Great Depression. Great Depression, there wasn't this mass social welfare system. If you came to America in the early 1900s, late 1800s, you either made it or you died. There was no in-between. There wasn't social welfare. Yeah, didn't you ever play the uh, Oregon Trail? I died every time. Yeah, my wagon broke an axle, I was done. <laughs> but so you look at that, but now we have multiple generations that have experienced welfare. Now it's no fault of a lot of people, yeah, but it's the crutch. It's it's the same thing. It's the it's the same thing that we sit here and talk about. And this is this is why I like the idea of this podcast and the fact that we can get somebody in here, one that's maybe just lived their entire life on welfare, or two, somebody that is an advocate for the welfare system. Because I truly want to know when we put a person on disability that in our eyes might not be truly disabled, what have we done to the system? You know, because there's so many people, like the four of us in this room. That, that have a, a red neck and a blue collar, and that when they see somebody that's taking advantage of the system, it's easy for us to snap and say, these guys are just eating up my tax dollars. So do you think that the $2 trillion stimulus package that they passed and all the checks Ooh. that everybody's going to get, do you think that's actually going to make a difference in our economy right now? Well... So MJ just comes out of the batter's box here with the, yeah. So, so the United States government <clears throat> jumps in and gives us a stimulus package of $2 trillion. I love this because on my social media platforms, I usually try to stay away from political rants. And, and, and this is something that is not fueled by the Republicans or the Democrats because I think in my mind, they're both equally guilty. The fact that we allowed the system to run the way the system did and that we let so many dollars trickle in from what was proposed as a one million or excuse me, a one trillion dollar deal to do that and expand it double to two trillion dollars. The fact that we're giving money to the Kennedy Center, um, if they were if they were solving the problem today, if the Kennedy Center was actually like making masks or developing tests. Um, or helping us spread the word of staying inside. You know, if those things were happening, I think that we would see uh, this, this whole pandemic go away. But what happened is in American politics, which I don't think American politics are completely broken, but I think that American politics are headed down a road that it's a pretty dark one. In the fact that we are letting for a vote, we are letting the opposite side of the table have a little bit of what they want here and have a little bit of what, what they want there just so that we can get what we need today. So if we need something, we have to be able to, to sacrifice something that really might be detrimental five years down the road. You want to get, you want to get me fired up. Let's talk about the new green deal, the green new deal. And the fact that we are going to let a stimulus package start to impede my ability as a farmer to be able to provide food, fuel, fiber, forage, all of these things that we need to do. And you're going to blame me for our uh, non-sustainable practices, the fact that we're the biggest offset, uh, we're the biggest uh, carbon dioxide contributor. 
is absolutely ludicrous in my opinion. I get fired up and I'm trying to get make sure that I <laughs> that I that I hold. I guess that was a bad question. Well, kind of, if you go back to that, this this is a great comment right here. The comment that we just saw: we can't be bought. I I love that comment, farm's wife, but we're bought. Hundred percent. We're hundred and ten percent already bought. And the fact that me in agriculture, the fact that I have to sit here and say that I have somebody that is pulling the strings behind the scenes, there is not a single person in this country. It doesn't matter if you're farming an organic you know, two acre garden or whatever it is, there is a system that has already been in place that's gonna impede the ability for you to be able to do what you want to do. We say we live in America, we live in the land of the free, but in all reality, if you don't play by the rules, then you're out of the game. 100%. That's Canadian for 100%. So <laughs> well, you think about this, so the government, especially the US government's come out and said, okay, everyone give you two trillion. But I mean, how much does that actually get to the people? So everybody's getting what, 1200 bucks? No, I'm getting like 2900. $2900? Yeah. Married and two kids. Are you going to take it? Oh, are you bought or not Ooh, bought? I don't know. Are See, you gonna, are you going to take it? Do you have an option not to? I don't know. I I'm surely you've got to have an option not to. I guess you can not cash the check. Yeah, that's your option. You but just it's don't direct cash deposit. It. They know where you sleep. True. They do know where I sleep. Mhm. It's on Google Earth. <laughs> I have not thought about it that much as far as whether or not I'm going to take it or not. But the, the, whole, the whole system of it, you know, it's just getting mass distributed. Well, so here's what I was getting to. So you got your household of kids. Mm -hmm. Your one daughter wants something. Mm -hmm. What does she want? What does she want? What's the most expensive thing she wants? Right <laughs> a now? horse. Oh. A horse. Okay. <laughs> so it's that five, six grand? Yeah. Okay. But your other daughter wants? A Harley. A Harley. Well, now that's 10000 But your wife needs something. What does she need? She needs money for groceries. She does. But in the yeah. meantime, you need to quiet down your two daughters so you and your kid or you and your wife can actually have this conversation and get what you need. Wait, where are you going with this, Brendan? I feel like I'm, I'm getting wormholed. Well, think about the government. They're paying out both sides, but what is trying to happen is give people money so they can actually go buy groceries. Right, but who's, but who's but, getting all this money? But yeah, so to, to, think, to think about it though, People are getting those checks. Say it's a thousand. Say it's fifteen hundred. Get a check for fifteen hundred that you're not expecting. Are you gonna? The majority of the population are they gonna go out and are they gonna buy groceries? Are they gonna make their mortgage payment? Are they gonna be wise with the money or not? So MJ's question, I think, is golden. So what 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 are you gonna do? Give me a couple of comments here. What are you gonna do with the money that comes from the government stimulus package? If I sit here today, now let's go back through this. There's the MFP payment. So if you're talking about agriculture. You're talking about cotton farmers, corn farmers, uh, alpha producers, seed producers. You know, there's so many different bills that when the when the China trade war kicked in, that the government said, hey, listen, we're over here handling some tough issues. So what we're going to do is we're going to subsidize you to be able to hang on. Now, what do I think about that? And this makes me extremely unpopular in agriculture. But I don't want subsidies. I don't want them. I don't want the government to tell me that if you do it the bad way, we're going to pay you. If I can farm, I want to farm. If I can make money, I want to make money. If I, if I can't farm and I can't make money, but this ties back to the stimulus package. They offer me $250,000 and say, here's your MFP payment, pal. Do you take it or do you not take it? Well, what, 
what strings come attached with that? You don't know right now. No, there's, there's no way. There's no way to know what, you know, are they going to get back in your taxes? Are they, are, you know, we're looking at spending another, what, another trillion to do an infrastructure project? Yeah, one or two, yeah. So, so we're sitting here just essentially reaching into the pocket, but, but we're, we're getting sidetracked. Are you going to take it? Jordan? I do not know yet. I've thought about not cashing it, but I haven't made a decision. If we sat here today, I'm trying to read some of these comments. <clears throat> how, many of your, how many of your followers there would, would cash it? Okay, so, so before I do that, and, and I want you guys to comment again, the biggest thing is what, what are we going to what are we going to do? Are you going to take it or are you not going to take it? What did I do with the NFP event? I took it. Because if you're going to tell me that I can't take a six-figure check or I can take a six-figure check, and I can invest that into something else. You know, did I go buy, you know, another ranch or did I buy a beach out? No, we didn't do anything like that. What we did is we invested that money back into the company to make sure that we continued to operate. At the same time, what happens when you take a stimulus check? What if we got, what if we looked at the working population and we took 96% and we all said, you know what, we're going to invest this money back into the economy. How many people are actually going to do that? I guarantee you, if you give me a check for $2,900 right now, I'm going to go buy another gun. It's probably what I'm, maybe some parts for a race car that's coming someday. I don't know. Something crazy. But am I going to take that $2,900? And, and I probably wouldn't. I probably would put it in my savings account. But the biggest thing is how many people are going to think that way? How many people are going to say, you know what? I got beer for the next nine months, nine days. Yeah. <laughs> But if you put it in the savings account, you're not stimulating the economy. If you go out and blow it on anything, you are. Yeah, so I guess technically if, if they're going out and just blowing it on pop, chips, and beer, they're stimulating the economy. So the, the They are, and that's what the government's counting on. They're, they're counting on you going down and just blowing it on something that somebody – And I, let me rephrase that. Not just blowing it on something because we want, we, we want somebody to buy something extra. You know, the guy that's making – googly eyes in the mall, you know, needs you to buy googly eyes because that's how he survives. But at the same time, th th does that really work? Have we seen where, and we got to get, we got to get way smarter people than me on here, but here's the question. How many of you people, if you had the option of not taking the check, would not take the check if you knew that it was going to go back to help the country? If it was, if it was going back if it's going to help the country, then I'm going to take it. If it's going to help the country, you're going to take it. What if, what if not taking it? The, the problem is, is they've already, they've already said, here's two trillion. It's gone. I mean, it's, we're already going to have to pay that back. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, this is not the government saying, Hey, you took the money. Uh, it's free. So there's really no option. So I mean, that's, don't take the money, but it's already been allocated. We're going to, I mean, somebody else is going to take the, the money down there somewhere. Um, well, it's trickle up economics, yeah. That is trickle up. I mean, that's what they're doing. And that concludes this episode of Out Here in the Middle with your host, Jay Hill. You guys have a good one. Thank you.